You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And uh, I'm glad to be coming to you because I didn't know if we were even going to have internet today because we certainly didn't have it all day yesterday for the most part. Um, Spectrum had some fiber cable fail or something like that and took them forever to fix. Of course, we have Spectrum business here at the house because it's really, you know, is here because my wife's business pays for it. And that's how she gets her telephone service and her internet service. And when it's down, it takes her business down with it. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Spectrum. You will be getting a call from me asking for, you know, a credit for at least one day's service. Um, coming up here soon. Couldn't do it today, though, because I spent my entire day here in front of the computer with only a short break for lunch and then a short break between the end of the meeting I finally got out of and the Bo's Nose show here. But, uh, yeah, it's been an – I'm happy to have the Internet service back because I needed it today. Um, I spent the entire day in the Justice Reinvestment Grant review committee meeting for the Criminal Justice Commission at state. I am the representative for counties on that commission. I'm a gubernatorial appointee to it as a voting member. And having to review all the various counties' uh, applications for justice reinvestment dollars um, all day long was quite a process. And we pick it back up at 8.30 tomorrow morning. Yay! So if I'm a little punchy, uh, you'll kind of understand why, you know, doing the, doing the, uh, you know, virtual meetings thing all day long is, is loads of fun. But we did, we got a lot of good work done. Um, and Justice Reinvestment's a really important program. It actually saves the state and the taxpayers money because we invest money in programs that keep people out of prison and keep them from recidivism and committing crimes in the future, which is a quality of life issue uh, for everybody around the state. And particularly, this program's wrapped around property and drug crimes, uh, not violent crimes. So um, really, truly, you know, helping reform these people, changing lives there. But at the same time, when you're not putting people in prison, you're saving a lot of taxpayer dollars. So um, really important uh, work we're doing there in justice reinvestment. But, boy, that's a long day. (laughs) And I have to commend all the rest of my committee members, including um, 
uh, Senator Floyd Brzozowski, who actually chairs the uh, Grant Review Committee uh, as a non-voting member because it has to be a separation of powers and the justice reinvestment is in the judicial part department and uh, Floyd's in the legislative branch. So those two things can't mix. So he can't have a vote. Actually, the judicial people don't have a vote. Sorry, it's in the executive branch is the, the CJC is in the executive branch. So the legislative and judicial folks don't have a vote. Um, but I am a voting member on that committee making decisions which unfortunately sometimes mean denying money to fellow counties, which is a tough thing to do. Um, but I digress from all the other things going on in Lane County, and I also digress from the fact that I need to remind folks we are a call-in show, 646-721-9887, and just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the program because we do have people that call in just to listen because they're away from their computers, or maybe they have spectrum and it's the only way they can listen. Uh, so 646-721-9887, just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, you know you want to get in on the show. And the reason we're at a special time today is we had another one of those closed door executive session meetings yesterday. You know, that got scheduled for four o'clock yesterday because it was the only time it could get scheduled. Um, that one was a legitimate executive session, though, because we were actually talking about bargaining with one of our units that we're in bargaining with and our bargaining strategies and hearing from our our bargaining team about how mediation is going and, and you know, whether or not we, you know, how much flexibility we should be giving our team and trying to get the yes. So, that was truly covered under the exceptions in Oregon revised statutes as to why the board can meet without the public present. For obvious reasons, you know, when you have two sides negotiating, you don't want to exactly have a public meeting televising what your negotiating strategies are. <laughs> so that one made sense. Now those Board meetings where we made a decision about vaccine mandates, not so much. They definitely did not, I believe, qualify under labor negotiations. And uh, I was successful in getting the board to actually release the tapes of those. And uh, hopefully folks that are interested have had a chance to go back and, and watch or listen to those board meetings and, and hear how the board came to the decision to uh, basically four of my fellow board members to mandate vaccination for our um, public employees at Lane County. Uh, thank you. And it is after five, so cheers, everybody. A little adult beverage there. Um, so, you know, Fascinating. And what's interesting, you know, that I don't understand why we couldn't do that out in public session, other than maybe the board was unwilling to incur the wrath of the public for even talking about mandate, mandating vaccines and knew it was going to be controversial and, and decided that maybe they didn't want to do that in public. But it seems like there's been some kind of secret agendas following the board around because 
on Wednesday of last week, one of our board members, contrary to a 360-degree review that was exceeds expectations for a county council, made a motion to terminate his contract. The only thing I can think of is there has to be something driving that, that that's not being brought out in public. And Commissioner Buck has some reason why she wants to, after in a secret meeting supporting vaccine mandates, which is going to create a whole bunch of legal work for our county council staff, whether it's reviewing religious exemptions or trying to fend off the lawsuits that are probably going to come with the vaccine mandates, is deciding to make a motion to terminate our county council at a time of great need and at a time where it's nearly impossible to hire a decent attorney. Think about that. On one hand, take actions outside of public view that are going to create the need for legal counsel. And on the other hand, out of the blue, want to get rid of your legal counsel. Interesting. Kind of wonder what's going on in the background there. Maybe somebody needs to ask Commissioner Buck, because she certainly surprised a lot of people with that motion and her reasoning behind it, which was very shallow. There has to be something else there. But I digress. We have so much to talk about uh, on the the show. Yeah, we've got COVID to talk about. We've got Indigenous Peoples Day to talk about. And we've got homelessness to talk about and redistricting to talk about. Oh, my, a lot of stuff to talk about here. But, you know, I just want to remind you folks one more time, we'll talk about whatever is on your mind on the Bo's Nose Show. Just call us 646-721-9887 and press 1. And that lets us know you want to get in and, and you know, have a conversation here on the Bose Nose Show and, and uh, talk about what you want to talk about. So moving on to kind of what the board did this week, which was um, one of the things was to, to surplant Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day, which I was the lone no vote on. Um, it was is just kind of an interesting thing that's you know gotten popular in this in this country, which is we're going to one erase history, two we're going to judge historical figures by today's morals and standards, and three we're also going to ignore other parts of history that are pertinent to what you're you're looking at. So. Yeah, one of the reasons I voted against this was I probably would have voted for an Indigenous Peoples Day if it was any other day than Columbus Day, or if it didn't replace Columbus Day. Because I know some people, you know, look at Columbus and and think, you know, that was the beginning of, of, you know, Western discovery of the Americas and colonization and, and the displacement of, you know, 
the native people and and some of the enslavement that happened and the mistreatment and everything else that went on yes a lot of that's all true and a lot of it was pretty horrible um but you know the, the context is a little bit not quite all there because one of the things people don't understand is north america didn't have humans in it for a long long time and they came to north america through a land bridge from asia during an ice age and there are multiple subsequent ice ages that form this land bridge and there are multiple ways of migration from asia into the americas and every new wave of of migration from asia usually brought about displacement of whoever was here from the prior wave and those displacements were usually done pretty brutally and in fashions that are fairly similar to the displacements that happened after Columbus. But no one wants to talk about that history, nor does anyone ever want to talk about the history of some of the native populations taking slaves from other native populations and indigenous peoples. That there was a history in this country before Columbus of enslavement and wars and displacements. It wasn't unique to Western culture. Probably what was unique to Western culture is the concept of actually owning land and and the difference that made in the displacement and how permanent those displacements were. But Columbus, yes, he had faults. Yes, he did bad things. But placed in the context of the 15th century, they were normal and part of the culture at the time. But what you can't take away is the fact that he navigated across the Atlantic Ocean. Yes, I know Leif Erikson did get to the Americas supposedly first, but he didn't do it by a transatlantic voyage. He did a circuitous route, Iceland, Greenland, Newfoundland, and down not one giant voyage basically from Africa straight over to the Americas by dead reckoning navigation multiple times is an amazing feat, no matter how you look at it. No one had ever done it before. That we can celebrate. And just like any historic feature figure, there's usually warts there. I mean, we can look into almost anybody and find things that we don't like, particularly if we try and move them up to today's standards. You know, things that happened in the 60s, you know, all you have to do is kind of like watch Mad Men one day 
and were normal, acceptable behaviors of how to treat women would be completely wrong in today's society. No one would put up with it. But a lot of those people that exercise some of those traits that you see on saw on TV were some of our celebrated politicians, news anchors, figures of that time period. Because there were other things they did that were worth recognizing. So, you know, we're coming up on, now it's Indigenous Peoples Day here in Lane County. The second Monday of October now is officially Indigenous Peoples Day. And uh, I just hope folks don't forget the accomplishments of Christopher Columbus. And they also recognize that truly as Homo sapiens evolved from, you know, in Africa, that anywhere else Homo sapiens are found, they're not truly indigenous. We migrated there at one point in time. And quite often, subsequent migrations of other populations displace. But I can see that Robin's dying to jump in on this conversation. Uh, Robin, so. I'm I'm just wondering that um, how are we supposed to celebrate? I mean, do we not use a turkey? No, I, I have no idea. What what the correct celebration is for Indigenous Peoples Day, and you know what's probably interesting is I'm not I don't know what the background of other board members is, but I actually have Cherokee blood on my father's side. <laughs> <laughs> so so I I technically could yeah I guess I I'll be celebrating that portion of my my heritage um, uh, on the, the the second Monday of October coming up so. Uh, you know, and you know, historically we did some pretty bad things. Um, but at at the time, I don't think people realized uh, or or even thought about some of what they were doing because it was considered to be what what just what you did in those days. You needed territory, you just moved into it and took it. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and, and it doesn't seem like we actually stopped doing that, seeing where, you know, we're still fighting wars over borders and territories and disputed lands between countries today. <laughs> and the reasons just vary. I think, you know, we all now understand colonization is a bad thing. And it's not something that, that happens anymore. Well, maybe China is still doing a little bit of it. Uh, but, you know, that's, you know, most people understand that. Um, and we can all recognize that and, and maybe uh, move forward from that point. What I really dislike, though, is... is some of this seems to be just aimed at trying to divide 
the country into various sectors and, and various groups of people, and then to try and make those groups homogeneous as victimhoods, you know, that they're all, you know, grouped together as victims. And then this other group is your oppressor and, and or your, your opponent, and you must be against them. And, and I just, it bothers me. We, we're, we keep trying to subdivide humanity. We're all homo sapiens. We're one race. We're one people on this planet. Skin pigmentation, where you come from, all aside, you know, somewhere way back when, genetically homo sapiens evolved, and we all come from that genetic pool. And differences in skin pigmentation are just but a few minor differences in chemistry in your DNA. Uh, so, oh well, maybe we should move on from Indigenous Peoples Day. Let's talk about something like COVID. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to say, and I, and I just saw a letter from Representative David Brock Smith to the governor, and I, and I, I hope the Biden administration starts thinking about this. But we are losing critical people from our workforce that are critical to public health in this society. One, because we're not recognizing at all in these vaccine mandates that people that have had COVID and survived and recovered have a natural immunity and may not need to be vaccinated. Now, mind you, if it was me, I'd still get vaccinated because it's been shown by studies from Israel that everyone likes to cite all these studies from Israel, that having COVID and recovered and then getting vaccinated actually makes you like 56 times, you know, more protected than, than just having COVID alone. So it just, I mean, I forget what the, the numbers was, but it was, it was amazing, the difference. So it was me, I'd still get vaccinated, but that's me. You, you have the choice not to though. And you're probably, and generally natural and vaccinated protection are pretty close to equal to each other. Both of them wear off over time though. Just want to make that clear. Everyone's going to need boosters eventually. The mandating of it, of a vaccine, without recognition of natural immunity, without recognition of the impact it's going to have on workforce in some very critical positions in our healthcare industry, in our public works department, in our fire departments and law enforcement, are going to create more of a health risk than the folks staying unvaccinated. Just think about that for a minute. We've got folks that operate our landfill that have a low vaccination rate. Now we've got a vaccine mandate in Lane County employees 
what's going to happen if we have to close our landfill because those employees leave and we can't find new operators? Or if we have to limit our landfill hours? Do you think maybe that solid waste building up out in the community might be a health hazard? You know, think about, you know, some of the trash strikes in New York City and stuff like, and some of the big cities and what those cities look like a short while after those strikes have been, on, you know, going on. No, no, no health impacts to, to that vaccine mandate. Think about a tiny little fire department like Harrisburg, Oregon here, just to the north of me, has 20 total firefighters, 18 of which are volunteers. They just have two of their volunteers decide to quit because they're not going to get the mandate that's required by the governor. That's 10% of their fire department. You think that might have an impact on their service levels? What if it's four? What if it's eight? No public health issues with slower EMS, ambulance, and fire response? What about the guys on the law enforcement side? Now, mind you, state law exempts law enforcement from some of these vaccine mandates, but I am still, we're still trying to get an interpretation whether Biden's vaccine mandate is going to require law enforcement officers to get vaccinated. Now, mind you, most of the, all of these folks, the law enforcement guys, the fire guys have all been dealing with the public throughout the pandemic. They've either been exposed and, and, and recovered, or they've somehow or another managed to keep themselves from being exposed by wearing a mask and gloves and everything else that they do as they handle people out there um, and, and have managed to stay safe. Yet, you know, we're going to push some of these guys out. But can you imagine if we start losing law enforcement? I mean, we're already suffering from a shortage of law enforcement officers because most of, you know, anyone close to retirement now is going, God, I can see the tea leaves, all this defund the police stuff and anti-police, you know, you know, Antifa riots and stuff like that, where they're they're attacking police stations. What the heck do I want to stay a police officer for? I, I, I'm close enough. I, you know, I'm out of here. And that's happening a lot. Now we're going to push some more of them out the door. You know, and, and there's no public safety impact of that? Has anyone looked at the murder statistics over the last year or so since the defund the police stuff started? And some of the cities actually did some of that defunding? No public health issues with this vaccine mandate at all. Not to mention how is it convincing people that aren't covered by this mandate that they should get the vaccination when they start seeing health care workers quit their jobs 
over being required to get the vaccine because natural immunity is not uh, of recovering from this disease is not counted as being vaccinated. And they're concerned about adverse reactions to the vaccine. And that makes the news. Does that person that's vaccine hesitant out there more likely to get vaccine or less likely? It's just bad policy right now. The governor should pull her mandate. The county should pull theirs. President should pull his. But if you want to argue with me about that, you can give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Coming to you at a special time today because we had a conflicting executive session with my normal time. And I had all sorts of meetings going on uh today, so I couldn't do it any earlier today. So this was as soon as I could get the Bose Nose show in. So uh, hopefully enough people heard and they're getting a chance to listen today. But if you want to get in on the conversation, again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. That lets me know you want to get on the conversation. And, you know, what's interesting also about these mandates is we are now on the downside of the Delta surge. It's pretty easy to look at the rates of infection and case rates per 100,000 here in Lane County and Oregon and, and nationally and see we passed the peak. We're, it's a slow decline and we're still at a, and, you know, not to, I don't want to make this seem like I'm not taking COVID seriously because our current numbers are still higher than the highest peak we had before. So, don't discount that. You know, we're, we're, we're on the way down, but we're still higher than some of our previous peaks. Hospitalizations, cases, ICU beds used, and deaths are all still higher. So it's still a serious disease. If it were me, my decision, and I've made my decision, I'm fully vaccinated, and I, if I didn't have an issue, uh, um, with adverse reactions and all that stuff, I'd be getting the vaccine. Um, I, I wear my mask because, I, you know, even though I'm vaccinated, I know the Delta variants, you know, being transmitted in high enough loads that even somebody vaccinated can get it and rarely can still also go to the hospital. And I just don't want to get it myself. I don't want to transmit it to my wife or any of my friends or family. So I wear my mask. I wash my hands. I try and keep distance from people. So it's still serious. It's still out there in the community. We're still above some of our previous peaks, but we're on the downside. So as we're on the downward trend, does it make sense to be mandating things? Leads me to another interesting conversation. And I'm going to wrap a couple things together here. Our southern border, homelessness, and equal protection under the law. So 
everyone's watched the chaos at our southern border on TV the last couple of weeks. And you have to ask yourself, you know, we did deport maybe a thousand or so of the 15,000 Haitian refugees that suddenly showed up under that bridge. Where'd the rest of them go? Are they vaccinated? You know, that's more than 100 people. You know, if it was a company under Biden's rules, they'd all have to get vaccinated. But I have heard specifically that they're not requiring them to be vaccinated. They're being moved around the country and released pending a court appearance to talk about their asylum claims. Now, mind you, most of those people didn't go straight from Haiti to our Texas border. They were a bunch of refugees that had actually been in other countries, sometimes for years, having gotten into those other countries under asylum claims. Chile and other countries in South America. And when they saw the open border policies change with the Biden administration and saw that the door was open, they came en masse to our border. Because I guess asylum in Chile versus asylum in America, it's a step up maybe, I don't know. But still, it's not like they were coming straight from Haiti. So what are they getting asylum from? Yet they're being released with a piece of paper saying you're supposed to show back up in court out in our communities, unvaccinated. Where's the equal protection issues on this? How can you mandate one one American, whether they're, you know, once they're in the country, they're under the jurisdiction, you know, according to a lot of Democrats and have constitutional rights, How can you require one and not the other? Which brings me some around to this homeless thing a little bit. And I got asked a really good question by a constituent on my county voicemail. He saw a post on Facebook on that Lane County mugshots uncensored. Pat tipped the mic there. And Kevin, they do a great job about somebody that went out and illegally dumped and unfortunately didn't realize there's a trail cam right where he's doing his illegal dumping and they had beautiful photographs of him, face shots and everything, throwing bags out of his pickup truck out in the Fall Creek area. Well, of course, somebody eventually, you know, dropped the dime on him and he got arrested and charged with illegal dumping and a few other charges. Um, and my question my constituent had was, why does he get charged and the homeless folks that are leaving huge trash piles at their campsites and, and around town aren't getting charged with illegal dumping? And it's a good question. Equal protection issue. Now, mind you, you know, people were, you know, basically are looking at the guy driving a fairly new pickup truck, 
and nice clothing and thinking he could pay dump tipping fees. He could have gone to one of the transfer sites and paid to dump that, that trash legally. And so he's got the means. That's what they like to say. Well, he had the means not to do that. Well, the homeless people have no means. And, and if they did put their stuff in somebody else's dumpster, that's also illegal. And it's like, well, it's still the crime is, is, is the illegal dumping littering, whatever. It's still a crime no matter who does it and for what reason. So you're only going to prosecute rich people now for crimes? Is that now the standard? Mind you, most of the homeless, you know, the the sentence for illegal dumping is usually a fine. (laughs) They're not going to be able to pay it. So it's kind of a silly I can understand why they don't get prosecuted. It's also very difficult to tie them to the trash. They'll, they'll, you know, that's not mine. Prove it's mine. Do you have video of me actually dropping it there? Or what? Yeah. Can you see my face in the video? Be pretty, pretty tough. Pretty, pretty tall hill to climb to get, you know, charged and successfully. And for what? You know, the cost of the court case and all that stuff. Whereas this guy's most likely going to be paying that fine because he's got the wherewithal to pay it. Of course, he probably could have gone to the transfer station multiple times for what the fine's going to be. So it was pretty stupid on his part. But it does lead to that question of what's equal protection under the law? You know, why is one person subject to criminal prosecution and another one isn't? which leads to this whole homeless thing in Eugene anyway. I can't tell you the number of calls I'm starting to get, the number of emails I'm getting, the number of complaints about the homeless situation in Eugene, and particularly from businesses in the West Eugene area that are literally dying because of the homeless people to some extent. You know, whether it's the fact that they can't get trucks in and out of their business because they can't make the turns because there's some broken down old RV that blocks the turn into their loading dock area. Um, or it's just the, the constant crime, employees being confronted, you know, when they come in in the morning by, you know, homeless people that are screaming and yelling and threatening them with sticks and, and you name it, what I'm hearing about it. Um, and, you know, what, what is concerning is, is, you know, the city of Eugene and a lot of people are just like throwing their hands and their shoulders up and going, well, you know, it's all because of this ninth circuit court decision and, and, you know, COVID, we just can't, we can't do anything. And, you know, they've got certain rights and blah, 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 blah. What about the rights of these businesses that actually pay taxes? and employ people, you know, and, and make it so you can actually have a city government. Where about their rights? You know, the Ninth Circuit decision, who I like to refer to as the Ninth Circus because they're the most overturned circuit court by the Supreme Court in the U.S. 
But their decision in a city of Boise case was that you can't arrest somebody or cite somebody for illegal camping unless you have open beds in a non-religious shelter available in your community. And it was all about you can't arrest them for sleeping on public property. Now, nothing in the Ninth Circuit's decision said that means you can allow them to set up a domicile in public property and stay there for weeks on end. Just says you can't arrest them for sleeping on public property. Doesn't say that you can't cite them for erecting a building, uh, a structure without a building permit, which I've seen some stuff nowadays, almost two-story wood structures covered with tarps and all that in some of these homeless camps. Doesn't mean you can't cite them for illegal parking and, and, you know, tow vehicles, et cetera. It just says you can't arrest them for sleeping in a public prop, in a public space. But the interpretation that's being taken is we can't mess with them at all because we don't have shelter beds for them to go to. In addition to that, you know, the CDC, who I don't know where they get the authority to make some of the rules they've made during COVID, but that's a whole different story and a a whole different constitutional question because last time I checked, CDC is part of the executive branch. The executive branch does not make law. But the CDC issued a rule or a recommendation, which has been treated like a rule by the state of Oregon and our governor, that you cannot you should not relocate homeless people around because that might spread COVID. So take the Ninth Circus's decision and the CDC recommendation as interpreted by our governor and the city of Eugene's leadership, and you get the mess we have in West Eugene, where they just really won't deal with issues even when they're being provided documentation of drug deals going down, they're being provided documentation of stolen property being collected at at some of these street camps. Um, It just seems to be, oh, you know, we'll go out and talk to them. And, and, you know, now they've got a rule where they got to move so often. Well, the the homeless folks, they kind of get that. They're, they're, they know that that rules exist, so they're moving 20 yards down the street or something like that, just enough, far enough that they don't get sighted. Doesn't change the problem. And I just have to wonder how many of those people out in West Eugene have actually come here because they know they can get away with using drugs and not getting charged with a felony under Measure 110. And they know they can, you know, get all sorts of services because we're starting to, you know, everybody feels sorry for these folks. And and there are some truly deserving and needing homeless people in our community, particularly some of the people that have uh, acute uh, and and severe mental illness. You know, they're 
there's a whole nother story we need to talk about how far the pendulum swung in our ability to help those folks. You know, and it gets one tie us back to COVID a little bit. We can't force those people into any sort of treatment. And unless they're deemed an immediate danger to themselves, and I know of one particular case where we were trying to help a woman out that was in her 60s, had been homeless for 20-some years, institutionalized to protect her in the wintertime because this woman was sleeping in a tent outside, incontinent, so she's wetting all her bedding and everything. But she wasn't exhibiting immediate suicidal or uh, behavior towards herself, any sort of self-harm, and she wasn't exhibiting harm towards another person. But eventually, that's going to, you know, that's fatal conditions. But it wasn't immediate enough. We could not get her help because she wouldn't voluntarily go into help because of the mental illness that was going on with her. Somebody that um, our labor secretary and I tried desperately to get help for and and ran into this thing where, you know, according to the courts, you can't force them into, into any sort of help unless they're deemed, you know, that, you know, unable to make decisions for themselves and an immediate threat to themselves or other people. That's how far the pendulum swung over that way. And it's just like our deputies in the jail are not allowed to tranquilize an inmate in their custody, even though that inmate is trying to harm themselves at that time. You want to talk about immediate self-harm. They're only allowed to try and strap him down in a chair to prevent that harm. They cannot medicate him against his will. But we're going to mandate that those deputies take a vaccine they may not want to take. The same deputies that can't tranquilize that that violent, self-harming adult in custody, we're going to force them to take take a vaccine. Equal protection under the law. Do we need to start thinking about swinging the pendulum back a little ways? I mean, we don't need to go back to one flew over the cuckoo's nest where we could, you know, basically put people away and mistreat them and institutionalize them at will. But there's got to be somewhere in the middle of all this. So we got about... 10 minutes left Bo's Nose show. And I'd be interested in your thoughts on all this, whether it's Indigenous Peoples Day, whether it's the homeless situation or COVID, equal protection under the law. Did you lose your spectrum service yesterday? <laughs> Whatever it is, 646-721-9887. Just press one and that gets you in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose show. Again, that's 646 721 9887, just press one and we'll have a conversation. Else has been going on around this country that might be interesting to you all and in this state. Well, you know, we had this thing called the 10 year census that we accomplished last year that they're finally releasing the numbers for, and we're doing this thing called redistricting, which in this state's known as gerrymandering. 
And uh, our legislature finally finished up its gerrymandering and uh, in a special session where our uh, Speaker of the House, Tina Kotek, went against a agreement she had and with a very public agreement she made with the Republicans and pulled out of that agreement and put together a committee that was lopsided towards the Democrats instead of balanced like she originally promised and developed some very gerrymandered um, maps for our congressional districts and for our state legislature, House of Representatives, and the Senate. And I don't know how anyone can look at those maps and not say they're gerrymandered. I mean, just looking at the congressional maps alone, there is the possibility you know, we are adding a new congressional seat here in Oregon, so we went from five to six, that four of our congressmen could be from Portland. Now, is 66% of our population in Portland? No. But four of our congressmen could be from Portland because they managed to, to, to get a tip of all four of those congressional districts into Portland. And then they made the fifth congressional district be dominated by Eugene and Corvallis and Newport and Lincoln City in a way that you know would make sure that's gonna stay Democrat. So now we're up to 84% Democrat representation in Congress when there's nowhere near 84% registered Democrats in the state. Can you say gerrymander? Yep. Thank you to our state legislators for bringing us that gerrymandering. Um, You know, it's funny. Democrats scream gerrymandering all the time whenever Republicans do any sort of districting. I mean, that's our county commissioner. One of the first things we did was redistrict the county commissioner's districts here in Lane County after the um, 2010 census. The Democrats locally were screaming gerrymander, gerrymander. All we did was draw the districts the way they're described in our charter using geographic and political boundaries, keeping communities of like people together, but it was gerrymandering according to them. With you know, what we did was undo what the Democrats did twenty years ahead of us and then made worse, you know, the ten years ahead, where they basically made the East Lane Commissioner represent lands in Lane County west of Walton, almost all the way out to the coast. They had the Springfield Commissioner representing people on in Eugene on the other side of I-5. Somehow or another fixing that, making the Springfield Commissioner represent Springfield and the West Lane Commissioner represent West Lane County and the East Lane Commissioner represent East Lane County is gerrymandering. But what they did up in, in, in Salem last last week, ah, that, don't, 
Nothing to see here. That's not gerrymandering. Well, I hope Tina Kotek has a fun time running for governor, knowing that it full well that her broken promise will be well advertised out there. Because it was a very public promise. And it was the only reason the Republicans didn't walk out of the previous legislative session was that promise to be equal in the redistricting process and develop decent districts. Not ones that included Shed, Oregon, in Lynn County with the University of Oregon. Not ones that had little pies of tips sticking into Portland so that could they could you know, basically disenfranchise rural voters by combining just enough urban voters to outvote them and, and maintain safe districts for those Democrats. And I think Robin's got one last thing for us here on the Bo's Nose Show. What's up, Robin? Mike? I turn on my microphone so you can hear me. Yep. Details, details. My, one of my favorite topics in bitch and moans is taxes. And something going on in Oregon, in fact, I, is the registration fees to renew your registration, obviously, on your vehicle. And I noticed um, on the registration renewal forms, now they're putting what the EPA uh, mileage rating, fuel mileage rating is on your car. Well, that kind of goes along with um, one of the new fees here. I think that's going in after, probably now, actually, 2020, 2021. For vehicles that get zero to 19 miles per gallon, the the increase would be $18 a year. Registration costs for passenger vehicles from 86 to 122 for two years. Vehicles ranging between 20, 20, 20 and 39 miles per gallon would have a $23 increase bring it up to $132 for two years. That's what we just paid for one of our vehicles. And one that gets 40 miles or more uh, could see a $33 per year increase, bringing the total for 152 And electric vehicles would be $110 per year. Yeah, yeah. They, they definitely, uh, yeah, that's all part of this. They wanted to go to a per-mile tax Um because they, they were losing, as cars got more efficient and used less gasoline and electric vehicles and hybrids were coming in, the revenues are decreasing to the state highway funds. So they're trying to make up for it with the, with the registration fees. So if you have a high mileage vehicle, you pay a higher fee because technically you make the same amount of wear the, on the highways. And that was what their justification was. Not the fact that ODOT has 5,000 some odd employees and wastes money on things like solar highways and bridges that never get built across the river to um, Washington State. Uh, yeah. don't, don't think about the fact that they could really save some money on their side of the equation. They just want more from you. Oh, yeah. We're, we're independently wealthy and they want it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know leads me to something else that people should be keeping an eye on here locally when it comes to taxes, which is Lane County is considering forming a stormwater utility because the federal government and the state are keep issuing more and more rules about stormwater. So it costs us more and more money to maintain it. 
But what they want to do is create a utility so we can do a monthly charge. On yeah, and, and you know, one we don't have uh, a a water utility we can put those bills in like cities do. So we we have to develop a billing infrastructure with that. But two, once you have that established, the rate, the monthly fee for that stormwater utility can be raised with a simple vote of the commission, no public vote, and even forming the utility doesn't require a public vote. So keep an eye on that issue because we're just in discussions now. But you know that's the kind of thing that makes you know everyone says our homeless stuff is all about our housing cost too much. What do you think that that you don't think that has anything to do with housing costs? You start charging you know residential customers so much per month for their stormwater, and I'm sure Robin's got her charges right there, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> What's, uh, what's Springfield charging you? Well, let's see. I'm paying $52.73 a month for sewer charges. And that also includes uh, storm drain fee sewer uh, units, which is based on how much water we use. And, of course, the basic charge, all adding up to $52.73. Yeah, that's all your sewer, though, right? I just um, – last time I calculated the total bill here – it was literally around 65% of it was just uh, taxes and fees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, some of that sewer, which is about, you know, a different different system that's in the ground infrastructure-wise. But, yeah, there is storm fees. Actually, the current municipal charge in, in Eugene is $15 a month for a residential property. So you think about that times 12. Uh, gets to be rather pricey, a couple hundred bucks a year. Yeah. Who wants to be paying that? Um, if you look at the breakdown for just electrical and water on my bill, it's basically $99. The total bill is 219 Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that, that it's something people should be keeping an eye on. Um, the real issue I have with it is, we wouldn't even need to charge this fee. We'd have plenty of money if only the U.S. Forest Service was cutting timber <laughs> because the receipts from U.S. Forest Service timber sales, half of that goes right into our road fund. <laughs> and once upon a time ago, when the federal government was actually cutting timber on Forest Service lands, we had so much money in our road fund, we were giving money to cities to help them with their roads. Now we're going to have to form a stormwater utility to, to maintain our stormwater. You might want to ask some of those commissioners that voted against joining the Association of ONC Counties that, that lobbies for federal timber harvest about that before they start charging us a stormwater fee. Maybe. <laughs> Yep, just maybe we should be cutting some trees. And maybe that should be paying for our stormwater and road maintenance. Rather than going after another tax that homeowners are going to have to pay, renters will pay through their rent, and everyone will be scratching their head going, why do we have so many homeless people? Why is housing cost so much in this county? Um, let's cut some trees. Not to mention that 
might help our forest fire issues. Well, we're out of time here on the Bose Nose Show. I've got to go feed some poodles and feed feed myself and get the heck out of this chair that I've been in all day in front of my computer. So I want to thank you for listening. We'll be back next week at our regular time, Wednesday, 4 o'clock, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening.